Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Dean Debates. This is a show where the four of us nerdy pals uh, get together and talk about uh, all things D&D, uh, different topics every week that we like to debate, go over, discuss, maybe throw some jabs here and there. Uh, this week, um, I, Corey, am the moderator, um, so that is my name. <laughs> How about everybody else? My name is Amanda. I'm Scott. My name. My name is Jake. This is episode four of the in debates. Uh, this week, the topic is homebrew. Uh, so, you know, every dungeon master runs their game differently. And today we're going to see whose homebrew ideas give the most unique and fun spin to a game of D&D. Um, so without further ado, honestly, not too much preamble to be had. That's a pen. Um, are y'all ready to do this? Yeah. For the record, yes. I remember that you just I was said. ready as the day I was born. I've been ready for like two weeks now since you posted these questions. I'm determined. This is it. This right. is, I'm, I'm, I better win. Two weeks, those are rookie numbers. I've been ready for two years. Wow. <laughs> uh, well, regardless of how long we've been ready, I'm going to roll me a d6. Uh, and then, and then we'll go ahead and get started with the order. Um, Jake, you will yeah. be going first for this first question. Oh, by the way, let me uh, real quick explain the structure of this uh, show for those of you who are tuning in. Uh, we give each debater uh, three questions. Question one uh, is kind of like a round format. Question one and question two are given to the debaters beforehand for them to prepare their argument. And question three is withheld from them so that we get a nice bit of surprise on the last round of debates. So here we go. Round one. This is question one. Uh, Jake, you will be going first. Here is the question. Uh, homebrew rules can take place in the game before the campaign even technically begins. That is, many DMs put special rules in place during character creation that spice up their game or help out their players. What is a homebrew rule that you have used or would want to use in the future that you think would be the best to implement in character creation, Jake? What do I get? Uh, you get two minutes starting now. Uh, I think the, the best thing you can add, uh, I would say give players a feat at the beginning. I've done that in my campaigns. Uh, adding a feats, I encourage feats to add into a background. So if they're, say, a dungeon delver, they take the dungeon delver feat. If they're a wrestler, say, take the grappler feat. This gives you a chance to take feats you'll never otherwise take because they aren't that good. Because you're never going to take the dungeon delver feat over ability score improvement. And I think a lot of people play humans for the simple fact they're the only race that can start with a feat. I've done that. I do that a lot. Um, and I think why shouldn't a half-elf have the chef feast at level one? Uh, like, let them do it. Let, let them be free. Um, and it's fun for players. I mean, I did it in my campaign. I think you guys find it fun. Um, and it really makes their character feel more unique. It kind of fleshes them out more. Uh, if they want to, like, min-max and take feats that don't add much to the background, they can. But I think it's a good opportunity to take those they wouldn't otherwise take. And it just kind of encourages them to play these different races because I think 
people like feats are cool they add a lot to your character and i think the fact that you can't have a feat at level one in every race except human a variant human i think it's just like why like why can't they have feet until level four i mean a lot of campaigns don't even get far past level four i mean that's all i gotta say about that i'm done all right, with a little less than 30 seconds to spare, Jake, that is your argument for feats. Um, the next debater to go will be Amanda. You will go second with question one. Same question to you. Uh, what is a homebrew rule that you have used or would want to use in the future that you think would be the best to implement in character creation? Your two minutes starts now. Right, so this is actually a thing that I have yet to implement, but I really, really want to. Um, it is, it's, it's, I wanted to start using in character creation in order to kind of get rid of the racial ability score increases. I want to start implementing the class modifier modu module. And the class modifier module is this thing designed and written by Gabriel Hicks. And it is an amazing thing where it's, instead of taking those, so usually three uh, kind of points to get a distribute for ability score modifiers, um, instead of doing it based on race, it, it's based on your class. And it's this awesome system where you like find your class and it ha has kind of three uh, stats it'll focus on and a series of questions you can kind of redistribute and change, uh, add to those uh, ability scores that's not based on race. I live like it so much because it encourages you to think more character-based, more background-based. For example, with the like, Druids, I was looking through it, it kind of takes you through a series of questions and it kind of distributes these extra points through uh, intelligence, wisdom, and dexterity, so it's very druid-focused. Um, at the same time, allowing, allowing, uh, sorry, allowing players to keep their uh, racial traits, uh, things like the dark visions or um, fey ancestry, without the kind of weird, why, like, why does a, you know, why are just elven, like, elves better rangers than humans in general? It's kind of weird, kind of off, ties into some weird racial stuff with Wizards of the Coast in D&D that's not always the greatest and this is a great way I think to help alleviate that at the same time still give structure it helps encourage you know thinking about your background what type of you know rogue what type of ranger what type of wizard are you um it is so much better than what Tasha's did Tasha's yeah sort of addressed that but in like two paragraphs and it's really sad and is not nearly as in-depth and comprehensive and really cool as the class modifier module um uh, seven seconds, I'm panicking. Uh, yeah, like I said, I haven't done it yet, but I really want to because it's very cool and very fun. It's free online to download. Yes. Fine. Okay. Right there, we got Amanda vying for the class modification and modifiers. And finally, we have Scott. Same question to you. Homebrew rule, character creation. Your two minutes begins now. Okay, so first off, there are lots of campaign-dependent homebrew rules that are very fun that I'd love to implement in the future. Um, stuff like uh, having a, I, I ran a campaign where I had uh, all of my friends make themselves and there were very strict rules about like stat generation and stuff. I am more looking for something that will be uh, accessible for all campaigns going forward and most useful for addressing problems that are in D&D character creation. And the number one problem I see in D&D character creation is that not all archetypes are currently created equal. There has been an undeniable power creep from the player's handbook up to Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. And so there is a impetus 
for people to pick options that uh, fit their character a bit less. There was a lot of dis uh, discussion around the Ascendant Dragon Monk recently in UA that was like, oh, now we will use this when we want to play the Four Elements Monk. Um, and it just changes, uh, it, it, it gives people, um, the way the power creep has developed gives, discourages people from playing the things that are character specific. So what I am vying for is um, a, a set of homebrew rules to uh, bring old things in line with current things. And that means changing certain abilities based on ability scores to based on proficiency bonus. That means changing the amount of times that you can uh, use things. That means bringing uh, bringing classes such as Sorcerer that have now had spell lists added, uh, adding spell lists to those. It would be a set of homebrew rules, but it would be specifically constructed to take the current design of the game um, and uh, take the older options, which are more foundational archetypes that more people are interested in. I've seen more people who want to play a Four Elements monk That's than... Time. Okay. That's time. Um, so, so, um, before I open it up for chaos, I'll just make sure I get a, a good reading on your, like, give me just like one sentence, Scott, of your, um, sort of. <laughs> yeah, I need, I need it too. I need it too. Just roll change, on the same page. Change, uh, the subclass features, um, of PHB and Xanathar's Guide to Everything, um, uh, uh, and Xanathar's Guide to Everything subclasses to be in line with those presented, the new design philosophies presented in Tasha's Culture of Everything. Gotcha. Okay. The scaling and the uh, added spell lists. All right. Um, so now we will open it up. Chaos starts now. I can tell okay. Amanda wants to I, say something first. I do. So, first of all, Scott, I don't know where to start with how just, I, I mean, I guess, but number one problem is like, what happens if you're the type of player, like in your group, y'all just have like the PHB. I know so many people who don't have and have access to, have the money for, or even really know about these newer modules. So they don't even know that this other like newer, greater things exist. And they're just using the sort of classic foundational stuff. Therefore, this doesn't apply to them at all. So that's the first thing. I'll add on to that point. Yeah, Jay, I'll, add, that. I'll add on to that point. I think what you've got there is not a homebrew rule, but an entire new system. That was my interpretation of it. Uh, like, this is something for like sixth edition or something. I don't know how you could implement this single rule without just changing it from what D&D is right now. I think it, it would be necessary to have a lot of work on the Dungeon Master's part, but it's fairly easy to just copy and paste the document. The players wouldn't have to worry about uh, too much. And to the, to the point um, of, the, uh, of players only having the PHB, in that case, that's fine. You don't need this rule if you have uh, a whole group of players that only has uh, the PHB. But most people that uh, I have played with uh, don't have any of the books. They access things through online sites. They uh, look at uh, they look at uh, sites like Wikidot, which have like everything listed. So rather than um, so they have all of the options available to them right there, uh, and they don't have the ability to distinguish like UA 
um, versus uh, what's currently in play. Um, so there does need to be an equaling out because there's a massive power difference there. Yeah. In my experience, I've DM for a lot of new players, especially like back in high school with our D&D club. That is not very much not the case. I, I, and I see yeah. where you're going. But I, I think the I think the I, I think the balancing issue with D is overhyped. I really don't think it's the problem. Like in our campaign, no one's like no one's complained about optimal builds. No complaint I've played. I know there are people out there. There are people out there, but like that's the whole like player archetype. I mean, how are you going to deal with that? I just I don't think balancing. And I, there are unbalanced things, but not every player. We don't have. Everyone in the party playing, I can't name an unbalanced build off the top of my head, playing a paladin multi-class warlock or whatever. So. Of course, of course. But you want to be able to bring up those lower level things that nobody thinks is a good idea to play with. Um, if you take the arcane archer from fighter, nobody wants to play that because uh, when you look at it, two shots for short rest that never scale, you know? Um, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's almost, and also if that's i don't know if that's like a character creation home rule that's that is more of a game system kind this of is, subclass like, sort of thing um yeah. whereas yeah. And i do be, well before we're out of time i do want to move on to jake i you know, jake, I, I want to i want to cross your mind first can i do jake, that let me say first i think giving every player feats a good idea i have a gripe with feats and they're unbalanced and i think having let giving every player one is a really good thing I just think you. One of your points was that is it encourages people to play other races besides variant human, and that is true. Although I think mine plays into that a little more. It encourages uh, that a lot more. In fact, it yeah. is very much more class specific and class based, yeah. and character based. Your 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 one does it to the point that what is even the points in racist? Like they have modifiers. They have modifiers for a reason. Orcs, half orcs, are stronger than gnomes. Dwarfs are stronger than gnomes, and gnomes are probably right, smarter. But is a, is a half orc wizard going to be stronger than no, this, a. This like, is where. They are handling strong like a gnome barbarian. What if I want to play a gnome barbarian, is, but I don't want to where, feel pressured by. Well, this is why. You know, stats you, to play something else. No, this is. So, okay, let's take the gnome barbarian. They were bought born weak, but they probably developed their strength, and this is where the rolling stats come in. You put your highest stats in strength. I mean, you know, right, no, it just it's doesn't make sense that another race would have the just like it does. It's just better like, chance. It's just the thing. truth of existence. Get dressed the Tasha's culture of everything thing, and I agree that your uh, module does it a lot more sensitively than Tasha's culture of everything. This Tasha, is not. It's so lame. It's like it, we yes, they yes. sort of addressed it, but it it's feels weak. Like I ah, just put them anywhere. It doesn't really matter anyways. But it does it's matter. Like you lame. want it to feel purposeful. It's very lame, it's very weak, but mechanically it's the exact same as what you're suggesting. You can put the stats wherever you want. But the reason why I enjoy the class modifier module a little better is because it encourages more class-driven and character-driven creation. Um, it still gives it structure. Tasha's just strips away all of the structure from that. It's just like, hey, put it where you want. Whereas it's still, uh, the class modifier module still gives you some constraints. It has like three stats for each class. It does a really cool like kind of three-step kind of questions like to get you thinking about who your character is in order to redistribute these stats so it allows you to keep those racial uh traits like things like the dark visions or like fey ancestry like i mentioned so it still matters race still matters
but it's not like these predetermined stats. I mean, that the, 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 the thing is, the thing is, away a little bit of the build because you can have dexterity based paladins, you can have uh, barbarians where their dex is higher than their con. Uh, and I think that having the stats that are specifically meant for the particular class does strip away a certain um, amount of but, choice. And on that, like you don't. You, you don't, becoming a wizard doesn't make you smart. You become a wizard because you're smart. Why would it be, being a wizard make you intelligent? You should be intelligent, put your big yeah, best sat in this, and this, become this still implies. This is where rolling stats comes into play. I mean, it's not like everyone just has 10 and everything and they get the modifiers and so they have to be a, get, being the wizard yeah. gets intelligence. And no, it's not I, discounting that I either. Think, I think you just take, if you remove race bonuses, you do take away from realism. Like, there are disparities in a half and a gnome. So, it's really, one thing, race stuff in D&D is always very oh, no, I, I think, area. I think it's only, this is only a problem because people make it a problem. Like, that whole orc being negative intelligence, that was only made, like, race problems because people made it so. Nobody at Wizards had the intent, I'm not going to say what it is because I don't want the D&D debate, but they, no one at Wizards had that in mind when they gave Orcs, or they gave Orcs a negative intelligence modifier. I, I think orcs are like, we, I recommend we move on from this discussion because, okay. oh boy, does it go deeper than six yeah, minutes allows let's for. Call it, let's call it, let's call it on the chaos. Um, Let's call it in the chaos and let's just go ahead into closing remarks. Any closing remarks that you have would like to say before we move on to the next round, the floor is yours. I think that my rules um, set up players that will later be disappointed if they choose, um, because it is frustrating to play one of the weaker options, even if you choose to do it. Um, and that's, uh, I'm not saying you can't pick it. I'm not one of those people who are like, don't do it. Um, you will eventually get frustrated. And I think that is one of the biggest problems, um, in the character creation process is that there are certain formulas that you have to go down in order to, uh, a, a great many formulas, but there are formulas you have to go down in order to make an effective character. And this helps, uh, you address, um, making the vision of your character um, without um, having to uh, insert into your campaign a bunch of uh, magic items and hope that it makes its way to a certain character. It, it lets weaker options um, be non-frustrating for characters uh, when it makes sense thematically. With mine, it encourages a lot more uh, character-focused creation. Um, I argue that for the most part you think about you're, you define your character by your class a lot more than you do your race. However, this, the class modifier module still allows you to keep those integral parts of the race uh, to your character um, without these sort of kind of like predetermined notions that could that kind of represent a not so great part of the racial part of high fantasy. Um, it is, it, like I said, it encourages you know character development and background. It you know just gets rid of this need of this kind of bias of like a wood elf ranger will, all, will just be inherently better at being a ranger than a human would. Um, and I think it's fun, it's cool, and I'm going to be using it in my next campaign. So, Jake, get ready. I guess I'll do my closing statement. 
I think my system is nice and simple. It's fun for the players. It allows them to vary their character build and add to their backgrounds. Um, I don't entirely, I still don't entirely know what Scott was saying, but it sounds really complicated, like changing the system. Yeah. I, and um, Amanda, Amanda's one, I think she's taking like, like races, like when you choose a race, it's like choosing your class. I mean, they obviously have different importance. Like class gives you the saving throws proficiencies, but race, I say the modifiers it gives isn't even that big. But I think bonus, the, my thing is the best way of kind of choose, kind of changing what you're going to be. So you're not always a variant human. And I'll add you give stuff to your background. Jeffini. Alrighty. That was question one. Uh, question two, we will have either Amanda or Scott roll first, or go first, and I'll roll for that. Scott, we'll have you go first for question two. Here we go. Combat in D&D is undeniably crunchy, and there are a lot of rules to keep track of after the PC's roll initiative. So it stands to reason that DMs sometimes bend, add, or even subtract the rules of D&D combat to make it more fitting to the game that is being run. How do you modify combat in your games, and why is it the best improvement upon the so-called official rules of D&D combat? Scott, your two minutes starts right now. Okay, so normally I go for a very crunchy stat-based kind of answer. However, in this case, I would like to posit a very soft rule that is for DMs. Um, and I, I will disclaim that this is for theater of the mind and in-person combat where you have the book, where you're not pressing abilities on roll 20 and that ability pops up for everybody. Um, this is a rule that uh, makes combats uh, with, with, uh, makes combats against villains more interesting and more dynamic, um, and it is low effort. It is literally the lowest effort rule that you can have, which is run spells based on your first impression of what the spell should do. Um, and what I mean by that is you see the spell catapult and you think, uh, okay, great, this person is going to use catapult to throw the adventurer across the room, um, run it as though it was that. Use the same damage uh, as it says on the spell, but rather than having to check through everything, um, it is fantastic for new DMs to be able to implement low-level spells in, um, in, in scary and interesting ways that change the battlefield. It doesn't wreck the balance again. It doesn't wreck the balance of your party because they can't find repeated abuse cases. It only lets these one-off villains have flame strikes that go on in like the middle of a wall somewhere and separates the party and creates a unique and compelling um, combat encounter. If you run things based on your first dramatic impulse, particularly with these spells, which are so difficult to read through. Um, you will uh, find yourself with that natural uh, dramatic impulse uh, elevating the combat. The first impulse for dramatics is normally the best dramatic option. All right, time. Um, cool. So running spells off of dramatic impulse. And can I just ask, like, a clarify? Was this, is this just for the bad guy, not players as well? This is just for oh. the bad guy. Okay. 
Cool, cool, cool. Shit, I like this a lot. Damn it. Um, <laughs> okay, so uh, uh, Amanda, since you went second last round, we're going to have Jake go second this round. Jake, same question to you. How do you modify combat in your games, and why is it the best improvement upon the official rules of D&D combat? Your two minutes begins now. Uh, I, I think so. First, I'm going to just grab up. I think a lot of the crunchiness comes from the player side. Uh, play them not knowing their characters off by heart, them metagaming. I'm just kind of putting this out there. I'm going to come up with a rule. I'm just saying. Uh, and them just metagaming and them kind of not knowing what they're doing when it comes to turn. But you can also reduce the crunchiness on the DM side. I don't know about like changing rules. I think Scott's idea was actually great and would kind of coincide with what I'm saying. I think just try and keep combats dynamic and not repetitive. Avoid the, I run up to the guy and hit him with my sword scenario. Kind of keep the counter constantly changing. Keep the players engaged. Uh, say, for example, you, you're, they're fighting a goblin chief. Instead of just have, being the monster manual goblin chief, have him like an ability he could do each round. Like one round, goblins around him can move. Maybe he summons a goblin each round. Maybe he gives a goblin advantage. Just constantly different, so the, the battle is constantly variable, whatever. Um, and I mean, you could throw a Scots rule in there, like have the like the guy's spell be different each round, so the players don't know what to expect. Uh, I think there's also some other like small rules you could add in, like more stuff with nat twenties and nat ones. Like nat twenty on initiative gives advantage, nat one gives disadvantage. Nat 20 on saves, avoids damage, Nat 1, uh, crit damage on saves. That's just kind of little things, but I think the main thing I'm emphasizing is kind of homebrew your encounters to keep them dynamic, keep them interesting, and keep your players thinking so that their turns don't just come down to, I go, I hit. J'ai fini. J'ai fini, indeed. Um... All right, cool. So, so modifying combat and uh, making it more dynamic with those things. Uh, cool. So that leaves us with Amanda, your opening statement for question two. Modifying combat, two minutes, go. Um, so I believe rules as written, uh, or at least in the versions, making an action. Or sorry, wow. Oh my god, for an action, uh, making an ability check, sort of like an action, that's really a thing, but I don't think any DM actually does that, and any rules about an ability check being an action in combat is dumb and should be thrown out. It should just be all the DM's discretion. So the fact of the matter is, if you can be making deck saves in response to spell attacks on your turn, you should be able to also just make a check to see something, to perceive, especially if it'll, especially if it'll change the outcome of, like, what you choose to be doing in combat. Um, I think rules in combat should be just are there, like um, home rules at least should be there to make things easier. Combat is crunchy, we've established that. It can be a lot. And this is just one less thing you have to be thinking about. You shouldn't be wanting to have to sacrifice your turn to see if someone is invisible where they are. You should be able to go, that is part of it, it's fine. Of course, if it's things like, you gotta make a medicine check to save your friend, yeah, that should be a whole turn, like a whole action. But it's all the DM's discretion. The DM is there to be able to make these kind of quick rule changes and adjustments um, on the spot. It just helps the flow of things. You're not sacrificing time to do lame stuff. 
you want to be kicking ass. You shouldn't be spending time to look around for stuff or to sense direction or to recall some knowledge that may help you make an even cooler attack. Um, and again, most DMs, I think, are pretty cool with this. I don't think any DM really follows that suggested suggestion from uh, the player's handbook that like, hey, making a check is technically an action. Um, I think that's all I'd really say about it. Um, it's easy, it's simple, everyone else yells, it's good. Uh, I know I'll use my, how much time do I have left? Can I use this time None. to start? Uh, okay. <laughs> that was it, that was it. Um, Sorry, I was a little well, frazzled trying to look up some things and I just completely lost track of anything. Um, that oops. is all right. So yeah, ability checks um, uh, in combat, cool. So we have all of our statements out there. I believe it is time for some chaos, so let's hear it. What do y'all got? Right, uh, I think I'll kick things off. I think let's, this was a question for making combat less clunky. Amanda, your thing will make it more clunky. It's just giving players more things they can do on each turn. There are more roles they're going to make. More, just more everything. Like, and it's also so minor. Like, when it's so rare, people actually, can I make a perception check? I'm like, yeah, DMs just allow it. But it's like once in a blue moon that they actually do that. And if it's more common, then it is going to make it more clunky because you've got to make more rolls. People think, oh, we basically now have an action, a bonus action, and an ability check. So that's, see, that's, that's. I disagree. No. I also want to use my disagreement to disagree with Amanda. I think that invisible enemies and trying to perceive invisible enemies is an excellent part of D&D combat. And part of why um, invisible enemies are so scary is because it's a huge opportunity cost to try and see them. You're stuck either flailing at the air or you're huddled in a corner looking around, not attacking for a round, trying to see them. I think that that properly replicates the experience of right. actually finding Which is why it's up to the DM's discretion. If I'm, if I have a character who's trying to just think about, hey, it's very, you know, smart spellcaster trying to remember if this enemy type they've encountered before is, you know, you know, vulnerable to radiant damage, I'm gonna let them make that wisdom check on their turn and then let them cast the spell afterwards. But yeah, if it's crucial part, things, more important things will take a whole action. But to saying everything should take an action, no, because characters don't want to be making like making a check as part of their turn. They want to be doing cool shit that can be aided by making those checks. And obviously it is just the DM's discretion, whatever the DM thinks it's cooler and better to help the flow of combat. Um, flow is a big thing. It's not just crunchiness. Flow is huge. I have to stop what I'm doing to take my most of my turn to be making an ability check or a skill check. That sucks. I don't want to be doing that, especially if it's uh, simple enough that it shouldn't have to take up that much time. I, I, will, I will say, like, I, I actually agree with this. I don't think it should, or at least most things shouldn't count as an action, but in the act of trying to reduce clunkiness, I think it does make it cool, clunky because people are now going to have to decide what they do on their turn depending on the result of that ability check. Like, if they're looking if they for want to make the check, they well, don't have it, to make the check. It's natural. Well, if they do make, but, what, but if they do make the check, they doubt now, then, after the check, decides, oh, I see them, I will, do I attack, what do I do? 
do I if I don't see them, what do I do? It, it aids in the strategy of it. No, but it makes it more clunky. We're trying to reduce no. the clunkiness. If it was on the table for me as a spellcaster to try and determine damage types that this thing was resistant to, you could bet that I would be making that check every single turn trying to find out exactly what I can best do against this creature. I, I think I would get annoying to play with. Uh, and I think players who like look for that kind of information would get actively. I agree. It would start. Holding yeah, and then the DM can shut them down to the DM's discretion. Um, that's the whole point. Like the rules come in the box, so the DM can. But then the DM is just shutting people down. Players okay. don't like it when the DM's like, "No, you just can't do that." That's kind of how combat works at this point. In general, like when you get to this high level of combat, it's more engaging. If players want that strategy element, they're going to do it. But you, like Jake, you said, players rarely make those checks anyways. So why, when it will come in handy, that one chance they should, like, they want to make it, just double check a thing, why make them sacrifice their entire action for that? And also, Jake, yours isn't it's not a thing. It's a, cool. it's just a thing, DM, you should be doing well, then, regardless then I, of what you're doing. It's just then, good game then, design. Then I don't think there should be a rule change. If, if that's the rule, I don't think there should be any rule changes. Because I think the system is fine as it is. I think the clunkiness, like, yeah, it's clunky, but is that really a problem? I mean, a lot of the clunkiness, as I said, comes from the players. It does. That, okay, I have it a does. I have a problem with I have a problem with that. It, that is no, like saying it's like, not a problem. Oh, it's, my, it's, it's our play testers' fault. Our game no, is bad. It's no, no, it's not a problem. Like, it's not a problem, but it's slow because some players do like kind of go through the character sheet, think about what they do. Players do discuss on their turns what they should do. And this slows it down. I'm not saying it's bad, but it does slow it down. You know what would really slow down combat? If I had to waste my turn making an ability check, so a whole round later, I could do something else. Why would that slow it down? Like that, why would that slow it down? I could be doing damage. I could be changing the situation, the encounter. But instead, I'm just perceiving something or I'm getting information about the But then if it's not worth doing, then don't do it. <laughs> but what if like, I need the information to perceive? Well, then, and I really then you, want then, it. Then it's to... worth doing. And if it's worth doing, having it as a free thing would be OP. Everyone would do it every turn. And it's just like more clunky. Jake, you've let me make like a wisdom check on my turn, just part of my turn before I cast a spell. If I could. Well, yeah, because it's, not, it's like what you're asking is fair. I'm like, it doesn't really change the balance. And that's it's that's what I'm arguing it. for. No, wait, you, you just said spotty people are invisible. Use that as an example. It's, I don't allow I mean, that. I brought that That'd up as ridiculous. an example, but it's There's at the DM's discretion. It shouldn't be hard-coded that every action, every ability check should be an action. That's what I'm saying. It should be a lot more fluid and a lot more on the and spot it, based on the situation. Even if I do you've allow it. Four even if you've it, done it. No, Corey, if, I know you've done no, it. No, but this, this is a question of reducing clunkiness. I don't do it to reduce clunkiness. I do it because I think it's appropriate. It's not, not all these rules have to be basically about clunkiness. It's about this the is flow what the of combat. About. This is flow what is different than clunkiness. Is, oh my God. Is, it's the flow. The flow of <laughs> Well then, Scott, the, you're the just flow, fine. Corey, the give the point to Scott. I don't care. Just don't for the point today. <laughs> All right, chaos over. <laughs> chaos over. Let's rein it in. Statement. My closing statement was about to be everybody likes mine. Yeah. Um, Everyone liked my first one. I've got to say that. Okay. All right. Any 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 last uh, speak your piece before we move on to this to this uh, third question? Everybody likes mine. 
Uh, I'll add to that. I too like Scots. Uh, I do think, I mean, I, I didn't really bring it up, but it might get like a bit complicated. I just, if like you, first impressions, like you just got to decide every turn, like what you're going to do. But, first, oh, well, not for the players. Okay. The whole, the no, whole, I know, but even for the you even, said yourself, like, you said yourself that the that the checks will come in. They happen so rarely, so it shouldn't matter anyway. Well, it's just I took a Scots here. This is my oh, closing Scott, statement. Okay. Sorry. This is my okay. closing statement. Uh, okay. But I think it's fun. Like even like even if it is just the monster, like if there's multiple spell costs, it might get a bit much for DM. I'm just putting out there, but it is pretty fun. I mean, yeah, mine's not really a rule, but then if you don't get count as a rule, then I just don't think there should be any rule changes. If there was to do a rule change, uh, I, I probably wouldn't do a rule change. I think it's fine the way it is. Uh, I, I mean, I kind of do, I do, I kind of do what Amanda's saying, but not for the effect of reducing clunkiness. I don't really know why that would do that. Okay. I'm going to say, I don't necessarily do it to reduce clunkiness, I did it to, to improve the flow of combat. Because to halt an entire player's turn, the player does not want to have to make a check for them, especially if it's, you know, just to get information or something, a quick thing, they should not have to stop their entire action to just do that. I'd argue every DM uses this homebrew modification, whether you think about it or not. And also, last thing I want to say is that, Jake, the fact that you say most crunchiness comes from the players. Honestly, I didn't say most. I, I didn't say most. Yes, I said I part. It. Yes, what you said. No, I wrote no. it down. I did not. I said part of it. I did not say oh, most. You said point. most. No. Did no, I say I most? I did not yes. say most. I haven't uh, written it down. I'll, you said I'll, most. I'll cut it in. I'll cut it in. If I did say most, which I didn't, but if I did say yes, most, did. if I did say most, then sometimes it is most, but not always. I think it's. I think it's just. I think it's fair to say part on the players, part on the team. Uh, if I said most, I would try. You don't blame players. No, I. Corey, I said and, and it, and it, Corey, and it, oh, for oh, question oh. three. All right. So with question three, um, we've got the order established. Amanda, you're going to be going first. Three. Then, then Jake, then Scott, I believe. Or Dick, did you uh, go I, second last time? I, went, I think I went last on the first one. Yeah, I, I'm going last, I think. Okay, so then we have Amanda, then Scott, then Jake. So I'm excited for this. Uh, we're going to do things a bit differently with this question three. Uh, thus far, we've talked about homebrew in terms of rules, but the concept of homebrew goes further than just how you play the game. Homebrew also encapsulates what game you're playing in the first place. So my question to you all is this. Who can create the best homebrew D&D campaign? Here's how we'll figure this out. I'm going to give you all 10 minutes to come up with a new idea for a homebrew story to run as a campaign. And after those 10 minutes, you're going to present your homebrew campaign story idea and debate simply as to which one is the best. All I need is a title, a central conflict, and an overall vibe. Okay, those are I the three things I need. <laughs> Just do your best. <laughs> It'll be great. Uh, so again, three things. All you need is a title, a central conflict, and an overall vibe or essence. Um, but any and everything else you include in your pitch could be possible bonus points, so get creative. Um, and use those brilliant DM brains of yours to come up with an awesome homebrew campaign idea that I or any D&D &D player would be excited to play. Uh, we all know each other well enough 
and I'm sure we'll all feel comfortable in the confines of the honor system. So do not use any ideas you have already had for a campaign. Come up with a new one right here, right now. Get a piece of paper ready or an open Google Doc ready. Make sure that it's all up and running so that you know you don't waste any time brainstorming these ideas. Um, so that's pretty much gonna be our question three. Mm. Uh, if you have any questions, please ask because I don't just want to be like, go go do that. Um, but but yeah, okay. So um, let's oh. let's go ahead and get make sure you guys have your 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 papers, your docs open, ready to go. The 10 minutes begins now. Okay. 10 minutes. There it is. Radical. We are... I mean, I, I spend this much time designing my campaigns anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> I definitely don't. Um, I... But hopefully, hopefully we've got some, some good ideas to throw around. Um, so yeah, Amanda, you will be first. Let's, let's hear it. Let's hear what you got. How much, Before, how much time uh, do I have to are we, pitch are my... Are we debating this section, by the way? Or are we just um, giving up pitches? I mean, we could have some chaos to talk about it. I mean, maybe this could I, be like more of a positive like thing. Like, like we're just all... kind of, you're just kind of pitching. And we're, we're all pitching, and then whoever wins is whoever gets the money. Corey is our investor. Whoever gets the green, um, whoever gets the go picture. Um, as much as I have like my PowerPoint behind me, and I'm like shaking your hand. <laughs> right, right, yes, yes. Ew, handshakes, ew. Um, at this time, no. Um, yeah, Amanda, you will be first. Then, what was it, Scott? Then Jake? Okay. Amanda, you ready? Boom. So in this campaign, you're all going to die. Be it some terminal illness, infernal deal, or bounty on your head, you know your time left in this world is coming to a close. However, this is why you've been called onto this mission. As the world is now threatened by the return of an old evil god, you must perform this ritual in order to prevent the destruction of everything you've ever known. Um, you don't know what you'll encounter along the way or what it will bring, but at the beginning, you're not expecting to make it out at the end. However, just what a way to go, right? Uh, in my campaign, I'm calling it the final farewell. Final farewell, God, I can't speak today. Um, the party, the central complex that the party uh, must save the world by essentially going on a suicide mission. Uh, I guess the overall vibe and essence is kind of, it's a little darker, it's more emotional, a little tenser, uh, higher stakes in, this, in a weird way too. Um, however, obviously, along the way, as it's a magical journey and adventure, you may find ways to save your lives. There's all you can play around with motivation and who your characters are, like why they're going to die, why they've chosen to go on this mission as like a kind of suicide thing, um, any bonds or connections they may have as it is a fight to. And also, this, this ritual is so, still a little undefined. So, uh, you know, it just to prevent the destruction of everything in the entire world. This, you know, group of people who in some way or another know they're going to die pretty soon anyways, you know, they're going to sacrifice themselves to save everything. Um, and it's going to be kind of tense and emotional, full of feelings and plenty of room for like 
I don't know if you want like the romance or family or you know death and love and life it's just it's, it has so much potential with the fun like fun in, in a weird way sort of premise along with the kind of classic fantasy adventure that's all I got for my pitch <laughs> thank you for nice. your time Corey uh yes thank you thank you so that was about two minutes uh we'll call the others uh two minutes as well but that very i'm very intrigued by the final farewell um so yeah let's take it to scott what's the pitch oh wait 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 there we go okay sorry the old gods are dying and as their divine light fades from the world, so too does the sun glow dimmer, the winters and shadows lengthen. On winding roads late at night, there are no forces to hold back the devils that lurk in the dark. We begin our story in a religious boarding school of the aesthetic of the late 19th century. Here, children of great potential, most but 16, are gathered together by a school board with agendas these children, the players, do not understand. As they try and be children in this increasingly dark world, a god's divine energy will be suffused in one of them early on as part of a ritual to keep the god alive, a process terrifying to a mere child. The school board, cold and calculating but right in what must be done to save the world, have gathered these remarkable children to find the remnants of gods, house their divine powers, and help resurrect them. The campaign would span a decade or more in-game. Um, watching the children grow as forces that wish godly power for their own means fight against them. The world would be harsh, much too harsh for children, but this is what most must be. I call it the Saint Baudère School for Gifted Children. Uh, the genre would be a dark fantasy, coming-of-age story. Uh, it would take place over uh, long amounts of time. There would be a very strict structure of chapters based on recovering individual old gods' bodies and powers. You'd come into conflict with, conflict with organizations that seek to use the gods' powers for disparate means. I see this as, uh, as an adventure where you don't know the BBEG from the start. Uh, you just have this premise and you just have this world and based on the adventure you're going against, based on the region you're going against different antagonists, uh, not one overarching thing, letting the players grow, the characters grow into themselves as time goes past again and again, and of course getting hints of the BBEG eventually like mid to halfway through. All right, that is time for that. Uh, very, very cool idea. I like it a lot. Um, so Jake. You guys got some dark stuff going on. Last but not least, we got Jake. <laughs> Two minutes, you say? Starting now. Right, I'll start the title. The time of the adventurer is over. The time of the monster has come. Instead of playing the party of adventurers, traveling across the realm, defeating foes, you will play as the monsters. By monsters, I mean those you normally fight, so goblins, minotaurs, zombies, werebears, etc. And now you, for enough editions of D&D, have these monsters been oppressed. It's time for their stands. So you now represent the world of monsters and you must put an end to the murderous adventurers who are going around killing your comrades. The central conflict will be the typical adventuring party as they go around completing quests, terrorizing monsters, and you must now work with your fellow monsters 
to put an end to their shenanigans before they get too powerful, too high a level. Along the way, you must fight. You must fight. Be you must find. Go through civilizations, but monster civilizations, and associate yourself with monsters. So you're now you're seeing it from the other perspective. And now you must now track. You will have to track the adventurers through the land, fighting their allies, fighting those from like the civilized world, and. It will culminate so the adventurers are trying to kill the Dragon King Yorgmoth, but the monsters know that Dragon King Yorgmoth is a benevolent leader. He provides good for the monsters, but the play the adventurers are going to kill him. So you you must stop them. So the, the vibe will be kind of like you're seeing a DD campaign from the other perspective. Instead of going around completing quests and killing monsters, you'll be the monsters trying to kill the adventurers. But this doesn't mean you're evil. Doesn't mean evil. You're kind of showing the perspective that perhaps what the adventurers are doing is evil, and maybe you're the one doing the good. And so you must now save your monster civilization and stop the adventurers from ending it. I'm done. Cool. Just in time. Jake, We've got our go... ideas. Oh. Um, no, Jake, no. Go ahead. Go... Yeah, Jake. You should watch. Uh, go on YouTube and look up Dimension Twenty: Escape from the Blood Keep. Um, it is a six episode D&D play uh, show campaign uh, pretty much exactly the premise you had not saying it's not a good premise but it exists I think you'd like it actually it's fine Matt Mercer's in it does Amy this not Amy provide Burble. evidence how good my homebrew is because I didn't know this existed <laughs> I mean it's so but definitely exists um, it lasts about six episodes and I think that's good length not a campaign. It's a short little multi-shot. I think it could be. I think it could be a campaign. Like if you, as, as long as you have like monster civilizations and people like you, like monsters that you can engage with, I think it could be long. You just need. You need to make sure it's not just going through like a hack and slash. You need to, as if like you have all the things the normal campaign is, but it's like monsters instead of people. Debatable. I I do not think that's. I think it could be a campaign. So um, I would say we could go into chaos, but really I just kind of want to like talk these over just so that I can get a better idea of these campaigns uh, because off of those opening statements, I can't really figure out as uh, a clear cut winner uh, or what have you. So I guess I'll start with Amanda. Um, so the final farewell, you know, you, you want this dark, tense, like emotional um, story and um and the conflict is that like all of the player characters are like on their last legs or their deathbed or like close to death in some way right and and they're just kind of put in this situation where they have to save the world but also they have to like die in the process that's what correct me if i'm wrong told. yeah right. so generally um the the kind of the one thing this party has in common is that in some way they their you know life is coming to an end pretty soon in some way um however it's pretty well known that's why they've been all been called upon by probably like a central government sort of thing um it's like hey we know how to stop this evil bbg thing from destroying the world however it's would prob it's gonna involve death and we think you guys already kind of have not a plate would you do us this favor and save the world? And, you know, actual motivations and things like that, it's, you know, 
can uh, be different for, from player to player, but overlaps sort of the, the what the, you know, initiating thing, what gets it started, what kind of kicks it off. Um, and obviously throughout the entire campaign, like there's going to be opportunities, something will come up like, oh, maybe there's a way to do it and you won't have to die. Maybe they find something along the way that's like, oh, this could cure this dude's disease. Wait a minute. And if he's cured, does he still want to go on this suicide mission? But like, is it all you've known? Mm. And it's, it allows just nuances and complex things and like character driven stuff. And it's good. It's spicy. Ooh, love it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Almost, almost kind of reminds me, and, and this is not a bad thing, although it might sound like it with like utmost, like just, it's just a cool premise as far as a cool premise goes, kind of like a Suicide yeah. Squad type of deal. A little bit. Yeah. Just, just in the sense that it's, it's, it's not, you it's know. It's a squad of people about to commit suicide. Yeah. Right. What are you, some sort of suicide? Yes, exactly. Yeah. But, um, but no, I, I do like the idea a lot. Um, this is actually going to be good. This will actually be good. But like the right, that's what I'm saying. Take it my how you will. Character, my her soul steals the soul. His her sword steals the souls of its victims. Yes. Um. Cool. 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 <laughs> okay. Um. So now I'm gonna, uh, I guess, ask Scott about Saint Bowder's School of Gifted Children. Right. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And that one's kind of just um, children sort of having the, the powers of like the dying old gods. And the conflict is that like certain people are out there trying to take that power for themselves. And then the, and then the party would be like the teachers kind of trying to protect them. The party would be the kids. The, the party, party would be the kids. Gotcha. The party would be, there's this school board over top and you are playing as like these 16 year old uh, boarding school, like, it has the aesthetic of like a Catholic boarding school, like a Catholic, like a bunch of Catholic boarding school kids who find out the administration is like, oh my God, they're fucking us up. Uh, and they uh, implant like these old gods into them um, and start sending them on like missions to help recover other old gods. Um, it would have this very kind of like uh, late 19th century England dark um dark winding roads uh black forest kind of vibe to it um it would have uh um yeah i mean the main the main draw of it would be it would be like this kind of academic aesthetic um that i think a lot of people would find fun people like boarding school movies um and then uh it would also have this aging component to it this uh, it would just take place over a long span of time. Yeah. We'd have that opportunity for like character growth and with the old gods being housed inside them, I pictured kind of like differing relationships based on like some of it could be parental, some of it could be antagonistic. Uh, they could be different metaphors for different things within them based on what the character and the player want to explore. Nice, nice. I like that a lot. Um, and then, and then Jake, uh, we kind of touched on it already. I would have brought it up too. I watched a little bit of Escape from the Blood Keep and it's, and it, again, this is not a bad thing at all. Uh, just kind of a similar take of like, okay, what would the bad guys be doing? Like, what is, what is their story? What is their adventure kind of look like? Um, so, oh, oh, is that no, 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 just, oh, so like you, 
a, a typical D&D campaign is, like, you've argued for this in the past, a dragon being the BBEG. And then you've probably been, you probably have been led to believe that there's a good reason why you're trying to kill this BVEG that it's like it's a dragon. People want to kill a dragon. So this adventure, these adventures are going on a typical one. I'd probably make them kind of almost ruthless, just so it kind of feels like the monsters are justified, unless the players themselves want are fine with just wanting. It's up to the players, but they would kind of go on a typical like adventure you might expect you to do as a party if you were them. So they go on the quest, they eventually level up, they go on more quests, going to towns, dealing with this problem here. And you as the monsters are kind of co constantly going, tracking them. And instead of fighting like monsters, of course you can't do that. You are monsters yourselves. You'd be kind of fighting allies of the heroes. These heroes would probably won't start like level one because um, like, why would they have any allies? They probably start at a higher level. So they have allies and you're kind of going after them and they have these... I don't know, you probably, maybe, maybe there's some kind of law, like there's a lord in the party that they've got some guards carrying them around. Maybe for variety, one monster race has sided with them just to give a variety of monsters you counter. But you're kind of constantly going after them, trying to catch up with them, trying to become as powerful as them because you start at a lower level. Uh, that's kind of... Well, nice. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah just... I, I mean, Amanda said that it couldn't be a long campaign. I mean, I disagree, but even if it was a, just a six session, is that not still a campaign? Or should we not count uh, Heroes of Labor a, a campaign? So, Ooh, that's fair. Oh, that okay, is, you know maybe what? we have some room there. for chaos. I will, <laughs> but, I, will, I was just, I was just throwing it out there, but you yeah, know what, that I, is, that's I, do, that's I mean, I, I do think that it could be a long campaign, but you will need to make sure that you still have this, like, social interaction side of things. Like, you encounter these, like, you know how you invade a cave and there's, like, some kind of goblin civilization? Usually you just kind of rush through the dungeon killing every single goblin without asking who the goblins are. Well, now you're the monsters, you might encounter this goblin town and kind of see from their perspective. And maybe you're present when the adventurers arrive. Apparently, this may be your first encounter with them. They arrive, you're in this goblin cave system, and the adventurers just kind of steam through it, killing everything. They're too high a level for you to encounter, so you kind of escape somehow. And now you know about these adventurers. I, I like that angle. I like that angle. So cool, yeah. I just wanted to go around and just get you know, a little bit more of a, of a, a good grasp of, of y'all's concepts, but um, I'll say that is like a wrap on um, question nice. three, unless you guys wanted any to say any, anything else about your ideas for homebrew campaigns, but those are all super cool ideas that I hope you get to run in the future. So I, I, I play both of those campaigns, both of I your campaigns, those sound dope as hell. I think all those ideas are actually really cool. I'm, I'm I'm running a game about kids right now, and let me say, tonal wise, very much not dark academia, late nineteenth century. Um, but no, I'm I think it's a very interesting way to approach hate. I mean, like I almost want to run the one I've just been talking about, but you know, I, I got to get the intellect of Barrett one out first, <laughs> then I can move on to this one. Yeah, mine is just Suicide Squad. Shit. It's different. Again, nothing wrong with that premise. Nothing wrong with that premise. It's the not, execution. You know, being, Suicide Squad is being coerced, though. You know. Yeah, and and it depends on who your who your party is too, man. Like, if they're just, just like, if they're like just good heroes that are gonna die, 
then that's different than villains who are gonna die in jail, you know? Um, that's, yeah. Depends, depends. So I need to do a little quick tally up of these scores and figure out who won today's episode. Okay, um, what do y'all want first? The, the, um, the berries or the juice? What? What does this mean? <laughs> what? What? So do you want me to go through the do you want me to go through the uh the breakdowns of each question or do you want me to, to go overall first? I think I think the best uh, we've done is my ego down. One okay. one one, two, and then overall. Okay, one, two overall. Fair enough. Couple berries, a little bit of the juice. Gotcha. Yeah, you're gonna mix it up. Have your blueberries with it's your, like it's like nature's your... cereal. Have your yeah, blueberries cereal? with your blueberry juice. <laughs> anyway, um, so for, just an idea for question one. For question one, I had Amanda winning that one. I enjoy the idea of class modifications, uh, and uh, there was there was a good. There was actually a pretty good discourse between like, I think Amanda, you said something about people define their character by their class and not their race. But then also, I think, I mean, you know, again, a big, you know, crazy rabbit hole we could have gone down as far as race and D&D. Um, but overall, I think I liked your argument the best. And it's something that I think I would do um, in character creation. Although, I, I, I do like the idea of feats. I mean, I appreciate it as a player of your campaign, Jake, having had two feats going into level one. And then, and then Scott, and Scott, I'm going to be honest, I don't, I still don't 100% understand how it works. Um, but I'm sure that, like, the homebrew rule was Scott does a bunch of homebrew. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, that's a rule. Um, and then for round two, I had Scott winning. I really do like that idea. And I think, I mean, everyone else liked it too. Like there was just kind of no arguments against it. Uh, at least not that I can remember. Uh, or at least yeah, not it, was, it, was cool. enough, it was cool. It was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, so yeah, that one round two. Uh, and so overall, overall with a score of 31 points. Jesus. I, yeah, I guess. I, yeah, 31 points. Amanda. Thank you. <laughs> You've done it. Oh my god. I was... I was... Uh, I mean, this is only one more, it's not just about my, my like book knowledge. I can pull up my game design knowledge, because I have that! Yes. Uh, <sighs> also, also, I think you were in second place in round two, and I think you had a lot of good counter-arguments as far as, like, what you were trying to convey as far as just there being discretion, like if this is the check you want to make, thinking about whether they can make it and then making it. But but yeah, overall, Amanda, you take home the uh, the, the the crown. I think there's something, I can't remember. There's some saying that, I, is, that I'm blanking on, but Amanda, you win, congratulations. Um, Scott, you were second, Jake, you were third. Um, and then for round three, I had Amanda and Scott tie. You don't um, like my idea. Rip. I didn't not like your idea. I just, uh, I, I don't know. Um, um, 
I liked it a lot. I liked all the ideas. And I'm glad hard round to call for me. Mm -hmm. That would have been a hard round to call for me. It was. That's, yeah. Like yeah. that's why I had to go like talk more about it just to get a feel for everything. Yeah. Like but yeah, um that's how today played out. That's how this episode played out. Um thank you all for listening. Uh like, share follow, subscribe, whatever you have to do. To keep us in your ears. Uh, who do you think should have won and why, or also if you want to reiterate why it's correct that I won, um, feel free to share your thoughts on that too. Um, what are cool homebrew rules you use? What's, any, what's a cool homebrew story that you've come up with and want to share? Please let us know. Once again, thank you very much for listening. This has been DN Debates. Uh, catch you next time. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.